Our pilgrim and his guide are picking their way carefully between the tombs that are on fire and the walls of Dis. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, the only podcast that I know of that slow walks through the comedy, passage by passage, piece by piece, at my own rate, and given where we are and how far we've come, not far, but we're at Canto 10. Hey, Canto 10 of Inferno. We're in the sixth circle of hell. We're amongst the heretics, and we're in the opening lines of that canto. So let's do it. Lines 1 through 21 of Canto 10, Inferno. Now my master went along a hidden path between the walls of the city and the horrors, and I stayed right at his back. Oh, highest virtue, who wheels me around these wicked circles, I began. If it pleases you, let's talk and fulfill my desires. The people who lie in these sepulchres, might they be seen? All the lids are off, and no one stands guard. And he to me, all of these tombs will all be closed up when these return from Jehoshaphat with the bodies they left up above. In this part of the cemetery are buried Epicurus and all his followers who made the soul and body die a single death. As to the question that you made to me, your satisfaction is about to happen inside here, as well as the desire you keep back from me. And I, good guide, I wouldn't hide my heart from you, except to speak fewer words, for you have previously wanted me to do this very thing. That's where we're going to stop. Okay, to do this passage justice, I have got one overarching point about the passage and this little bit of walking in this narrow, secret, hidden path along between the tombs and the walls. And then I've got five different commentaries or glosses on the passage itself. So let's start with the big overarching point. The circle of the heretics, and particularly this, the 10th canto of Inferno, is about the position of the self in history. The self defined mm, historically both by politics and art. And you're going to say, wait a minute, these are supposed to be the heretics. The entire circle of the heretics, the sixth circle of hell, is really about the miseries of human division, both in politics and in poetry. Dante apparently associates all of this with the sin of heresy, that is, human division, factionalisms, tribalisms. It's all bound up with the sin of heresy. But we can talk endlessly about this as we move through Canto 10. I just want you to remember, just keep in your brain, this is about human division, that which divides people from each other. Okay, so let's look at the passage bit by bit. Now my master went along a hidden path, a secret path between the walls of the city and the horrors, and I stayed right at his back. I want to stop right here. The secret path. This is, you're going to be so shocked to know, a reference to the Aeneid. 
to book six to line 443, the secret path, the hidden path. And it's incredibly important here for me to explain this to you, not because of anything that happens in this passage, but what's going to happen in several passages ahead. Well, two more episodes ahead, what's going to happen. So let me just set this up. When Aeneas and the command Sybil come into the secret path, it leads them in the underworld to the sorrowing spirit of Dido. In fact, they come across a whole plane of mourning spirits, and here Aeneas sees Dido. And here Aeneas realizes his complicity in the suffering of another. That is, Aeneas stops and questions the spirit of Dido, basically saying, oh, you did do what I heard you did. That is, she climbed up on the funeral pyre and emulated herself and killed herself over her sorrow at missing Aeneas. And Aeneas is thunderstruck by this because he realizes that he has a part to play in her sorrows, that he has a part to play in her death. And I just want to set this here because we're coming to the moment in which Dante the Pilgrim realizes his own complicity in the suffering of another in this canto about human divisions. So that there's a reference here to the Aeneid, this hidden path. It's just right because it's just what happens to Aeneas, realizing his complicity. And it's about to happen to the pilgrim and possibly to the poet behind him. So they go along the secret path. The pilgrim stays right at Virgil's back because it's so freaky. I mean, just think about this. Let's just stop and think. You're walking along. There are these sarcophagi. They're so hot. They're glowing. They're burning from inside. The lids are off, which means that you would be able to see the dead in there. If you walked up and peered over the edge, you would be able to see, well, in a terrestrial world, you'd be able to see the decaying corpses here. I don't know exactly what you'd see, a bunch of souls perhaps in fire inside of these things. But still, it's got this freaky edge to it. It's hard to understate it. I remember um, back in the day, Bruce and I, my husband and I, taught cooking classes on Holland America ships. And we went to a Caribbean island once, and uh, we never took any ship tours or anything like that. We were uh, basically just doing cooking shows on the ship. And we got off in this Caribbean island, and we walked around the downtown area, and we came on a cemetery. And in this cemetery, we kind of walked through it because, actually, we were heading toward a liquor store, which was on the other side of the cemetery, to buy rum. As we walked through it, many of the tombs, the rocky slabs, were open. And I looked down, I can remember this to this day, being so shocked at seeing skeletons everywhere, looking down into these open tombs of people buried in this cemetery, and here's a skull, and here's a wrist, and here's a hand, and being so, uh, what's the right word, freaked out by it in the middle of a town on a Caribbean island. So you can imagine what this feels like, right? Walking amongst these open tombs. Tombs shouldn't be open, should they? So no wonder our pilgrim stays right at Virgil's back. And then our pilgrim starts in and says, Oh, highest virtue, who wheels me around these wicked circles. This, this wheeling reference may be a reference to the fact that they turned right, if you remember in the last episode, and I made a big deal out about that. It may be a reference back to that. 
What I want to just focus on is O highest virtue, O supreme virtue, O lofty power. Depends on how you want to translate the Florentine. Highest virtue, lofty power, loftiest power. You know what? It sounds a little bit like heresy to me. Virgil's not the highest virtue, the highest power, not by any stretch of the imagination. And remember, I told you there may be a way in which Dante finds himself complicit, the pilgrim, finds himself complicit in the sins of hell over and over again. And there may be a way that he wanted too much information amongst the gluttons. There is, of course, a way he passes out from too much passion amongst, uh, the, amongst the lustful. There may be a way in which it's not right that he is drawn into the classical poets and flattered for being there in limbo. And here, there may be a way where there's just a hint of heresy. Maybe Dante's stance toward Virgil is just a little too hardened. Highest virtue. Hardened in the way we talked about heresy might be a hardening of the will in the last episode. Okay, passing on. The pilgrim says he wants to talk. Fulfill my desires. And he says the people who lie in these sepulchres, might they all be seen? All the lids are off and no one stands guard. This is not my point. This is Robert Durling's point and Anthony Castle's point. The point here is that what we have is a twisted reference to the resurrection of Christ. Let me explain this for just a second. In the story, especially in the Gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter, Mary Magdalene runs up to the tomb. Jesus has been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. Mary Magdalene runs up to the tomb. And as she approaches, an angel appears and rolls the stone back. And of course, the tomb is empty. The angel sits up on top of the stone that covers the tomb, rolls it back, sits on top of it. And the guards around the tomb quake in terror. Here, when we have all the lids are off and no one stands guard, both Durling and Castle have found a reference to that Matthew story of the resurrection, a kind of twisted resurrection. And we can see it coming because after all, what we're going to be told is that the Epicureans basically believe that the soul died with the body. And so a reference to the resurrection of Christ here is an ironic, twisted reference, especially amongst these heretics who think that the soul dies with the body. Dante says, can't I see inside? So here comes the fourth point. Virgil says, all the tombs will be closed up when these return from Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, with the bodies they left up above. Jehoshaphat is a reference to the Old Testament, the Tanakh prophet Joel. It's the last judgment. It's the moment in which the final battle is engaged between good and evil in the valley of Jehoshaphat, and we have the last judgment itself. I want to set this down here, not because I so much want to talk about the last judgment, but I just want you to hear it right now. When these return from Jehoshaphat with their bodies they lift up above, I want you to hear it here because this entire sequence on the heretics is bookended by references to the apocalypse. There is this reference now, early on in Canto 10, and then late in Canto 10, there will be another reference to the apocalypse. And what's about to happen amongst the heretics, which we'll get to in the next episode, what's about to happen and who we're about to speak to all gets bookended again by the last judgment and questions about the last judgment itself. It's an interesting framing that this, these, this canto, which is going to be so much about political divisions 
and political chaos and factionalism and tribalism and poetic factionalism and poetic tribalism, what that all that is going to get bound around with the apocalypse as if these divisions running inside are really what echoes of the last judgment or surrounded by notions of the last judgment do humans hurt each other in some way as a kind of foretaste of the last judgment or an echo of the last judgment itself it's all sitting there out beyond the text itself and of course This is the first time we actually hear, although it's completely Christian orthodoxy, that the damned will ultimately get back in their bodies, that there's a physical resurrection. Maybe you know this, not just for the blessed, but for the damned as well, because they're going to go back up. They're going to fight the last battle against good. They're going to lose and they're going to drag their bodies back down here now, reunited with their, well, rotting corpses in this world of empty tombs. Fifth point. In this part of the cemetery, Virgil says, are buried Epicurus and all his followers who made the soul and body die a single death. Epicurus called for, as it were here, a unity. That is, the soul and the body are one thing, and when one dies, the other dies with it. Hmm. Right? What have I told you? This is an entire canto about divisions. So it is ironic that we are here amongst the Epicureans who believe the soul and the body die together. How, however, can Epicurus be a heretic? Remember I told you last time, in the classical world, you can have schools of thought, but you can't have heretics in the classical world. And I explained, we've crossed over into a Dantean landscape, and wow, you know, these are heretics. This is the first bit of kind of Dante's world and not the classical world. True. The whole time I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, but there's a problem coming. And here's the problem. Why is this here? Well, I think if we go to the Convivio, Dante's book, The Banquet, if we go to the fourth treatise to chapter four, we will find a reference there to the Epicureans. And basically what Dante is saying there is the Epicureans got things half right, that there are all these mm, schools of Greek thought running around, and most of them got things half right, and then Aristotle came around and kind of unified it and got things really right for everybody. What, What does that mean exactly for Dante? Well, What it means is that these are not the vulgar Epicureans, you know, the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's not the vulgar kind of Epicureans that are here. These are more the philosophical, the intellectual Epicureans. And what these Epicureans are known for is the notion that virtue should be the goal because it leads to the greatest happiness. In other words, virtue is, to use the fancy word, teleological, that you you do virtuous things because it's going to make you the happiest. And since Epicureans believe pleasure is the basic principle of the universe, as does Dante, since Epicureans believe pleasure is the basic principle of the universe, therefore you practice virtue in order to get yourself more pleasure. It's more pleasurable to be virtuous, and so that's why you engage in both intellectual and moral pursuits of virtue. This is different from a deontological notion of virtue. I'm using the big words. Deontological notion of virtue would mean that virtue is its own reward. You're not doing it for any future goodness. You're not looking toward the end, 
like a teleos, the teleological notion of virtue. Instead, it's just good on its own. It's virtue is virtue because it's virtuous, and there's no end game to be played here. I think the point here that maybe if we can combine the convivio with this, is that these heretics, the Epicureans, got things half right. While Dante says what they got terribly wrong is that the soul and the body die a single death, nonetheless, as we're going to see, because of the convivio, they're going to get things half right. That is, that desire and pleasure are part of the foundations of the universe, and furthermore, they got things half right because... In the next episode, we're going to basically see divided people. Well, we're going to see people stand up out of the tombs, but we only see pieces of them because, of course, the tomb cuts them off. The sarcophagus cuts them off mm, stomach level. So they themselves are divided. So they're half there and half not there. Like the Epicureans are half right and not quite right. And they are divided like heresy does. And ultimately, like this entire canto will argue that people do to each other. They fall into factions and tribalisms and divide each other. And we're going to see divided people in the next episode. But for now, let's just finish it out. As to the question that you made me, your satisfaction is about to happen inside here, Virgil says, as well as the desire. You can't hear that now without hearing Epicurus running around behind it. You kept from me interesting that we don't actually know what Virgil was referring to. Believe me, there is a lot of ink spilled on this. What is the desire that the pilgrim is keeping back from Virgil? What is it that the pilgrim wants to say that the pilgrim hasn't said? We may have a clue in the next passage, but it's inconclusive. What I find interesting here is basically right at this point, Virgil and the pilgrim get into a little spat. I mean, Virgil basically fills him in, says something about the Last Judgment, says these are the Epicureans, that's this part of the cemetery. And then Virgil says, you know, uh, by the way, what you want to know about these people and might they be seen, it's about to happen. You're about, that's about to go down for you. But also, that thing that you're keeping back from me, that's also going to go down too. And then... In this little spat, the pilgrim says, good guide, flattering him. I wouldn't hide my heart from you except to speak fewer words, for you have previously wanted me to do this very thing. Hey, I'm not talking a lot because you're the one who told me not to talk so much. Remember? <laughs> remember back in Karen? And remember when Virgil gets irritated and says, quit, quit asking questions so quickly. Just wait and you'll figure it out. Well, now the pilgrim says, hey, you're the one who told me not to talk so much. So I'm just doing what you want me to do. And right here, they're descending into a little squabble. There's a division happening between guide and pilgrim. And this is ever so important to set up what comes next. Because in the very next verse, someone is standing up out of one of these tombs and is going to be heard even if half seen. But before we get to that, let me read you the passage one more time. Inferno, Canto 10, lines 1 through 21. Now my master went along a hidden path between the walls of the city and the horrors, and I stayed right at his back. Oh, highest virtue who wheels me around these wicked circles, I began. If it pleases you, let's talk and fulfill my desires. The people who lie in these sepulchres, might they be seen? All the lids are off, and no one stands guard. And he to me, 
All these tombs will all be closed up when these return from Jehoshaphat with the bodies they left up above. In this part of the cemetery are buried Epicurus and all his followers who made the soul and body die a single death. As to the question that you made to me, your satisfaction is about to happen inside here as well as the desire you keep back from me. And I, good guide, I wouldn't hide my heart from you except to speak fewer words, for you've previously wanted me to do this very thing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante. We are walking amongst the heretics with our pilgrim Dante and his guide Virgil. We're getting up right to the moment where one of the heretics is about to step up. So subscribe, come back, listen to the heretic. Wait do you hear who it is? Wait when you find out what that heresy is. And wait do we explore more fully what factionalism or tribalism does to people. And how, in fact, that is quite like what heresy does to people. So give the podcast a rating, connect with me on Twitter, use the hashtag Walking with Dante, or just follow me, Mark Scarborough, on Twitter. You can have fabulous conversations there. Check out the Facebook page, Walking with Dante. And otherwise, I will see you back very soon for this heretic standing up out of his burning tomb on the podcast, Walking with Dante. Thank you.